Who do you think lives here? See all the tiny holes? They are actually homes. They may look like odd homes, but they are just perfect for protection. We are looking at fiddler crab burrows on the Far George Preserve surrounding Granis Island. Ranger Russ from Meg's Point Nature Center talked to us about the growth of salt marshes. The salt marsh is getting deeper all the time. Our salt marsh grows about one foot every hundred years. It's going to get a little bit deeper. Now, we're going to stick the marsh probe down into the mud to see how old the marsh is. This is eight feet long. How far down do you think it's going to go? Six, eight six, feet? Maybe. If it goes eight feet, how old is it at the bottom? Years. 800 years, right? All right, let's stick it Did down and see you hit stone? how old the marsh is. Whoa! Okay. Do you think it would go deeper than that? Yeah. I know it would. Because the salt marsh is between 12 and 21 feet. So how old is the salt marsh? 2,100 years ago. If you came here, you would be 21 feet lower than you are now. It started with just a little bit of sediment left behind as the tides went in and out on some bedrock and that sediment that gave a place for plants to start to grow and then those plants died and added to the sediment and it got deeper and deeper and deeper and now 2100 years later we're standing on layers and layers of dead marsh plants you may be wondering how dead plants can turn into mud well it is all because some very small decomposers are at work. They are anaerobic bacteria. They are the only creature that live between four and eight feet below the soft marsh surface. They also do a great job of filtering as they convert nitrates to harmless nitrogen gas. Gammy Moses talked to us about habitats. He taught us a refrain that helped us remember the basic needs of creatures. Like, what do you live in? You live in a... Building. Go ahead. A house. Okay? That's your habitat. So everybody go like this. Say food. food. Shelter. Shelter. Space. Space. A habitat is a wonderful place. A habitat is a wonderful place. Okay? So a habitat is where a plant or animal lives or where it gets its food from, its shelter, and its space, okay? Now, crustaceans, they like water, so, but they like fresh water, and they also like seawater, or what we call brackish water. So, that's usually where you will, where you will find them. You also find them in what we call the intertidal zone. Do you guys know what that is? On, on the sound, you have what we call tides, okay? So sometimes, because of the cycle of the moon, the water comes in, okay? And then sometimes it go, goes back out. Remember the time we went out there? We were able to walk all the way out because it was low tide. But when it's high tide, you won't be able to, because of the water, the water will come in. Now the intertidal zone is the area of land between low tide 
and high tide. With help from the tides, the salt marsh acts like a filter. Every time the tide comes in, way over there, there's a big channel. You can see it comes all the way over here. The tide comes in, the water gets sucked up into the marsh. There's lots of particles, lots of holes through here. So anything that's floating in the water gets trapped out here in the marsh. When the water goes back out, all those things stay in the marsh. Twice a day we get the tide coming in, twice a day the tide goes out, twice a day the salt marsh filters Long Island Sound. Some of the things that it filters occur naturally and will build up in Long Island Sound because Long Island Sound is not open to the open ocean. So we get things like nitrogen, phosphate, and potassium. Those are things that we put in fertilizer. When people fertilize golf courses and lawns, any of the extra of that ends up in Long Island Sound. But also, it comes from um, birds going to the bathroom. Uh, there are other things. If, if there are animals out in the sound that die, they add to the nitrogen. All of that stuff is absorbed into the marsh. The marsh can also take up toxins, things that are poisonous that we put into the water, sometimes intentionally, sometimes accidentally. But it will absorb that into the marsh as well. And then the bacteria, all that black stuff that we walked across, that's bacteria. Some of that bacteria can neutralize some of the toxins that we put into the sound. So this salt marsh really filters out Long Island Sound. So the next thing the salt marsh is, is a grocery store. Okay, because all of the things that are being absorbed, all those nutrients, make this a really great place for plants to grow. Every food web in Long Island Sound is connected to the salt marsh. Now, does that mean that everything in Long Island Sound comes into the salt marsh to eat? No. no. It means, right, that they don't necessarily come here to eat, but they eat something that ate something that ate something that ate something from the salt marsh. So all of the things in here are getting eaten, and eventually there are things out in the sound that are going to eat them. Okay? So that's why we call this the grocery store. All those nutrients that are being absorbed in here allow the salt marsh to be a very productive habitat. The salt marsh produces more new biomass every year than the best farmer can produce. So food, shelter, and water, that's what the salt marsh provides. So that's why this is a, a great nursery. Fiddler crabs are crustaceans. We wondered how many types of crustaceans there are. We asked Gammy Moses to answer this question. All right, so there's about 70,000 species. You guys want me to list them all? I'm gonna start, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Talking about 70,000 plus, and guess what? That's what we know, right? Remember this, there might be some that we don't know about, okay? I don't know if you guys ever heard the, that we know more about the surface of the moon than we know about the depths of our oceans. So every year they discover new species. We asked naturalist Lucy and Buffard to tell us the kinds of crustaceans that live on the salt marsh of Granite Island. There are fiddler crabs on Granis Island, which uh, have one enlarged um, um, claw, 
and Asian green crabs. And those uh, organisms, those crabs, are not from here and they do really well here. Um, they are pushing out a lot of the other native species because there are no natural competitors for them. There's no natural diseases in this part of the world uh, for them and they will uh, uh, colonize an area pretty readily. Uh, other Granis Island crustaceans will be, um, there will be grass shrimp inside of the marshy area. Um, and those animals are really mostly vegetarians and they and scavengers such as the fiddle, fiddler crab and they are they are considered food for many of the other animals including the coyotes that visit there. Ranger Terry McCool talked about how crustaceans grow. Well how, how will a crustacean grow? What does it have to do? It has to shed. It sheds its old shell and it's actually always building a new shell. It's starting to build a new shell underneath and when it's ready to shed it'll break out of the old shell and the new shell will be very soft and then it'll stretch and harden after a few weeks. Gammy shows us a mnemonic to remember the stages of growth for a crab. So let's go for that one more time. Egg. So here. Okay. Megalops. Juvenile crab. And then adult crab. Gammy talks about adaptations and how wild animals react to their environment. Animals react to the environment in two ways sometimes. So sometimes, sometimes three ways. They either hibernate sometimes when it gets cold, they go dormant, or they migrate. As in dormancy, what most crustaceans do, they shut down all of their main systems, so like the nervous system, and what they do is they, they bury themselves within the sand, only keeping their like antennas out for sensory. So from November to May, that's when they're, they're, they're really going into, into dormancy. Alright? You know, because you know about adaptations? Animals have to adapt in order to survive, you know? So that's one of the adaptations is they, they go into dormancy for many reasons. It's cold, food is scarce, you know? And they don't want to get, be, they, want, they don't want to get eaten by a migrating bird or something that's passing through their, their habitat where they live, okay? There is ongoing discussion and research among scientists regarding the reason for the male fiddler crab's large claw. So there's a couple different theories around that, okay? Some people think that because it's only on the males, I want you guys to remember that, only the males have that, that big claw, right? Now, some scientists believe that, well, it's for, for dominance, you know, in order for when they're fighting so that they would have more, more of an advantage. Now, it's challenging for the fiddler crab to have such a big claw because it's difficult to manage. Imagine if your hand was, one hand of your hands was way bigger than the other, you know? Think of how you probably walk. Think of probably how the challenges you might have eating your food, you know? And that's some of the challenges that they have is because of such a big claw, they have a hard time using it. You know, it's pretty weird. They have a hard time using it. However, 
Some scientists and researchers also believe that it serves as a, a heating mechanism. New research shows that the large claw works like a heat sink. It transfers heat from the fiddler's body and dissipates it into the air. This allows the male fiddler to stay cool on a hot summer day while they are on the surface looking for food and waving their claws. Ranger Russ talks about a new theory as to what attracts the female fiddlers. So there's like a little rain hood that he puts over the hole and how big or the shape of the rain hole is what attracts the girls. So him sitting there waving his claw is probably, and we don't know this for sure because this is all brand new, they think that that's to scare all the other males away. He's sitting there saying, instead of saying, hey girls, come, come look at me, he's saying, hey boys, stay away, this is my hole. So it's totally changed how we think of it because the girls apparently don't even care what, the, what his claw looks like. So that's how science is always changing. We're always doing research. Wade Elmer from the Connecticut Agricultural Center talks to us about Sasarma, the purple marsh crab. In the jar back in, in your classroom is called Sasarma. It makes a bigger hole and it actually comes out at night and eats living grass. So we, we can show areas where it's actually consuming the grass. Uh, yeah, so the crabs, we think of crabs eating fish and things like that, but they're, 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 called, they're actually they're omnivores because they would like to eat fish, but up here there's not a lot of dead fish for them to eat, so they eat grass. And we've been able to show that if the, if the, if the plant is not healthy, if it's got a disease, the crabs actually eat it faster. Well, look at this. This is 2007 at Hammonesset State Park. This was two years ago. And it's even gotten worse. That's 2012. That's five years. Look what look what the crab has done in five years. Same place. Unbelievable destruction happening. And so we're trying to figure out what you know. How, what can we do to suppress this, or or to keep it from happening in other areas? And maybe we we won't be able to restore this for a while. But we are seeing a little bit of grass coming along the edges there, coming in. So maybe in a few years it'll all come back. But one thing we find is that when the, when the plant is infected by the fungus, these crabs like to eat it more. So they think they, they may go together. So, it's, so every year we're trying to learn a little bit more about what's going on. I'm glad you took me out to that marsh today because I got to see the holes. I think it's Sasarma. So if Sasarma's there, will we start seeing more dieback in the next few years? So we can follow that. So that's where you can be a, a good monitor and just go out there and tell me what you see. If you start seeing areas where it looks like it's dying, you need to, you know, please let me know that. The purple marsh crabs numbers are going up because the blue crab numbers are going down. Blue crabs used to eat them and they kept the numbers down. Besides respecting the habitat of some very unique creatures and monitoring for purple marsh crab destruction, we asked Gammy what we can do. What can you do? Okay? You know why I like that question? There's something called individual action. Now, what does that mean, individual action? What I, as a person, can do to affect anything on this planet? You can do a lot. I'm from the Caribbean. 
And we have a saying called, one, one, cocoa, fill the basket. So it means one at a time, if you're putting apples in a basket, one at a time, it's gonna get full, slowly but surely. So, individual action goes a long way. And what can you do? Free hours in resource conservation. Reuse. Using less is the best. Reuse. Using less is the best. Reuse. Use it again with a friend. Reuse. Use it again with a friend. Recycle. Put that can in a bin. Recycle. Put that can in a bin. Now how does that help? It's called resource conservation. All the things that we use, we get it from nature. What recycling does is instead of getting it more from nature, we use what we already have, okay? And that saves energy, okay? And that also helps the planet.